welcome to the Six Figure Event Podcast. Here, we're going to get real about what it takes to host a profitable event, how to actually get sponsorships, and we'll dive into the world of virtual, hybrid, and live events in an ever-changing industry. Stay tuned for our episodes where we have exciting interviews with sponsors and people that have mastered their own virtual and hybrid events. Thanks so much for joining us. Let's get right into it. So today we're looking at ROI, how to get money from your events. And what does that look like through different styles of events, whether that's a workshop, whether that's your first conference, event, summit. And we're going to talk about a few things on how to make money and how to get that best ROI. Now, events aren't obviously just a way to bring people together in a room, right? When produced effectively, they can be a major asset to your business, your marketing strategy. Um, And events are really an ideal way to get your pipeline full of people who want to buy your product and services. One of my past clients actually hosted an event a few years ago. It was a live event, and she made half a million dollars based on my specific coaching on how to do ROI, back-of-the-room sales through upsells and through her coaching and, and services products. Plus, people that are going to your events, individuals want to engage with your community. They want to help you grow your brand, especially if they're raving fans. So simply put, right, we're looking for leads, someone who's interested to really look at what you have to offer. You know, I'm going to throw a stat out here. I love stats. You're going to, if you don't know me yet, I love throwing stats out. I love research. I love seeing what is actually in the trend. But 90% of consumers share that they have more positive feelings about brands after attending events and experiences. So you can imagine that's a major indication that you need to be using events to grow your business and generate profitable leads, right? For the benefit of you, for your sponsors, for your audiences, everybody that hosts an event should create some sort of profit and or profit strategy thereafter. Um, So what does Jen look like in today's hybrid environment or virtual? I've heard so many people say, Alicia, I've lost money in my event or it's just a stepping stone. And I don't think that's true. I really think that with the right strategy and with the right ways of planning and strategizing and creating that experience, you could be just leaving money on the table and losing out. When I hosted my own event last year in April, um, I did an event called Own the Future Summit. And it was really for people who didn't know what their future held because COVID hit in March for us. And we were kind of just stumbling around, not sure where the next profit would be coming. So I hosted my own event and I created a profitable strategy from A to Z. I used my own strategy and um, I'll share with you in a way the step-by-step process that I used and created a few different lead gen opportunities through sponsors, through attendees, through upsells and through various other buckets as I call them. At the end of that event, we had over 12,000 in profit for day one And then it was a three-day event. And by day three, we had actually profited almost 98,000. So you can imagine that 
when you're hosting an event, even in the pandemic, even right at the beginning of the pandemic, things can turn it around. If you plan, you strategize, and you utilize the correct strategies. So let's talk about ticket pricing because let's be honest, right? When when you're looking at ticket pricing, most people get it wrong. And I say this with you know, certainty because I look at tickets and I look at, I analyze data and I analyze conferences and why tickets aren't selling and how tickets aren't selling and why people are very last minute. 85% of people wait until one week before to purchase their event tickets. Now I have to bust that myth a little bit because when, again, using the right strategy, you can get that number down. I'm not saying that it's going to be, you know, 0% unless you're you know, Adele going to a private concert. But at the end of the day, we want to kind of get that number lowered so that you don't have to wonder how many people are actually coming to your event. For my particular event and for thousands and and the last, you know, few years of people that have virtual events, that number has definitely been in the the last week to two weeks of, of people purchasing tickets. But with the right early bird strategy, we're going to look at some ROI right now, okay? So an early bird strategy, you've probably seen this before by, you know, you've seen Black Friday sale was just last week. You've seen Boxing Day, right? Guaranteed it's a week, um, it's a week sale. Maybe you get buy one, get one. Whatever the sale is, there's an extended time frame on that to allow people to purchase tickets, I think that's incorrect. And I especially think that's incorrect for when you are offering a huge discount to your tickets. Because you want people to act fast, obviously. You don't want it to be sleazy. You don't want it to be, you know, selling inappropriately. So when you're doing an early bird type of sale, you're going to have a very limited time frame. One of my past clients, it was a live event, and she had actually offered it for only a 48-hour flash sale. Not a week, not one month, not four months of early bird, but it was very limited time frame. So she did two months, or sorry, two days of a flash sale, half off, and she actually did 35% of her ticket sales versus the, the very average of 10 to 15, and sometimes in a, in a, you know, in a virtual world, 20% of sales in an early bird or pre pre-sale. So she we actually did a very great number. We exceeded the expectations of the the average norm in today's ticketing society and we did it for a two-day flash sale versus waiting a week, waiting a month, waiting that three months of early bird because at that point what's the incentive? Why would people buy early if they can wait? I'll just buy it next month or I'll just wait for next month. So the idea is to profit and to look at that that particular lead gen pipeline as a profit building scenario. So they saved their money, they purchased it for half off the ticket sale, but then if they purchased an irregular price point, is there an upsell for a VIP ticket? Is Are you nurturing them every step of the way throughout the time that they purchased to the end goal of the event, right? And, and some people will upgrade during that process, but you also want to incentivize them to upgrade. Again, people love saving money. People love free stuff. People love anything that involves making them feel special, right? So we have a couple of different lead buckets and lead ideas for that particular person that saved their money. 
Now, by the, the actual event days, whether virtual or hybrid, you can look at having them upgrade or not having them upgrade. So, for instance, you'd have to upgrade before a certain time in order to get the perks and the exclusive offers. Or if it's a virtual event, maybe they can extend it only until day one to get those recordings, to get that, you know, specialized one-on-one coaching that they may want or that exclusive VIP roundtable with celebrities or or A-listers, et cetera. So the idea is really thinking about the lead journey throughout and making sure your event pricing strategy is quite diversified, Right. Whatever you do, don't offer one ticket price for your event. You really need to have a diverse event pricing structure that offers tiered pricing, that offers unique benefits. That needs to be offered for both that in-person and that virtual when it comes to the hybrid event. So it has to, again, have the strategy, have your robust ticket tier pricing throughout because the ROI in tickets, I think, is is. Again, we want to cover our costs for our tickets. We want um, the ticket sales that come in to at least cover the event costs, maybe the production, maybe this. Um, But at the end of the day, that could be true. However, what other offers are you doing for to bring in those um, upsells and to bring in more money at the back of the room at the actual event itself, if it is that type of event? A lot of our clients do have the upsells events where they're selling their, like I said, products, services, coaching, all that stuff at the back of the room. Now, you can create an event pricing strategy. Like I said, we looked at team price, or so we looked at VIP add-ons, we looked at early bird. You can also do buy one, get one, team pricing, training add-ons, right? So buy the ticket, but then also for 300 extra dollars, you can get our library of courses that is regularly $1,000. You can also get this merchandise, maybe a swag box delivered delivered right to your door. Maybe it's a virtual swag box that includes 50% off if you shop at X, Y, and Z company. Exclusive access passes. So, you know, again, looking at recordings in a virtual event, Some people do watch recordings, most people don't, (laughs) right? Some people do, depending on the industry. Right now, we're looking at about a 40% replay for for various industries across the board, and 60% of people don't actually watch recordings. So that has to tell you something. And again, if we're going into, into more specifics, people that need to attend an event or need to attend a conference for, you know, upgrading their their credits, or maybe it's a training program, there are definitely going to be watching versus the person that maybe the entrepreneur or small business that doesn't necessarily have to watch the recordings. So just be very careful in what you're offering because it may not be valid or might not be useful to some people, right? Do you go back and listen to the recordings? I don't. I've never, I have not done that quite yet. So Again, depending on the industry, I want to be there live. You might feel differently and that's okay, but you have to understand who your audience is and if they're going to be willing to watch those recordings. Again, specifically for the add-on of, you know, exclusivity of watching the recordings for one week, one year, whatever. Also the excessive access passes, right? Having those, you know, really, really 
continue to help your bottom line of, of the ROI at your, at your event. So exclusive access passes means that maybe you get one-to-one with a potential speaker, or maybe you get one-to-one in a networking event that doesn't include the general public. These kind of exclusivity opportunities are so valuable because if I was an event and I wanted to get one-to-one to the speaker to pick their brain or to learn more about my specific concern or challenge, guess what? I'm paying extra for that. And most people would agree. Now, the more you add on options, obviously the more that you're going to monetize, right? The more money you'll make off the tickets. And again, that adds to your bottom line of ROI. But since 80% of virtual events are free, and I again, I love stats and I love capturing this information. And that was part of Bizabo's, um, you know, event data for last year, their 10 virtual event benchmarks you should know for 2021 is actually 80% of virtual event registrations are free. So how can you actually add that? Your pricing needs to be significantly less than your in-person pricing, but the good news that the average price for a paid virtual event is $443 right? So you can charge higher for your person, but that means you need to ensure your attendees are seeing that value of attending the in-person, of attending the virtual to pay the premium. So I love to always offer some sort of ticket pricing to a virtual event. And hear me out for a second, because free equals no responsibility. Free means I'm not going to show up. Free means that maybe I'll show up if I have time or feel like it during the day. But if I pay a dollar or $12 or a small ticket price to a virtual event, I'm going to attend because I want to get my money's worth. I'm going to attend because there's that responsibility of, hey, I've paid for this. Why wouldn't I attend? Especially if there's no recordings available. And again, we have to kind of get that strategy in place very early on in, in the planning process of a virtual and or hybrid event. We want to make sure that we get that engagement. And there's so many different factors and so many different puzzle pieces to think about here. But we want to think about, will people show up? Will the engagement stay focused? And will I get ROI? Because if you have 500 registrants and only 50 of them show up, is that good for your look? Probably not, right? We want to make sure people show up. We want to make sure people pay for some sort of ticket even if it's a dollar. Some strategies I've seen, and maybe um, you can share as well if you want to put up your hand, is actually offering $1 tickets to come in and purchase 20 for your teammates. And that could be a a great brand awareness um, event. That could be a great way to kind of capture new audiences. But don't make it free because now over all over the place, everybody's offering a free event, free webinar, free summit. We are very much in an over-saturated uh, market for free and, and upcoming master classes and events, especially with COVID. So be careful as to what you're offering as a free event. Again, depending on your leads and your, and your actual targets and who your audience is right now, yes, there may be a great chance of, of you getting those people showing up, especially if there's a strong community. However, if you're brand new and you're starting out, 
be, be careful with underpricing and also overpricing. And so do your target market research, do your demographics, get a poll going to your current audience and or social media channels. How much would you pay for a virtual event? One to $50, 50 to $100, 100 to $400. The more that you ask questions, the more that you ask and understand your audience, the better off you will be in any case and in any scenario, right? When sponsors want data, we pull the audience, we survey the audience at the beginning, maybe middle or end of the event, and we understand in its entirety what sponsors, demographics, what, what, who is coming to our event. And that's the bottom line is to really think about that target audience and to understand what they're going to be willing to pay, how much the virtual events are going to be. And keep in mind, remember the value add to that. So it always has to make sense. What is your value add? Who is, who is going to be paying and does it make sense for them to pay that much? Now, I love the incentive gift item registering. People love freebies. If I'm signing up for an event, and I get a virtual swag, even if it's a pair of socks or a pencil or a mug or whatever the thing is, I love it. I love getting stuff, okay? I wear my t-shirts that I've got and I wear, I have everything. So people love freebies. How many times have you pre-ordered a book, right? Just to gain that access or maybe registered for a 5K even though you don't wanna run just to get those nice, super like Adidas shirt and metal. I mean, I love that free stuff. So no matter what the event is, what the launch is, right? I always love incentivizing people for registrations, right? For we had this in-person um, offer where we had exclusive access to a champagne party and people loved that. It was a VIP speaker champagne party we had celebrities, kind of B-list celebrities going around. We hired them specifically. We sold out those VIP tickets in less than three days because of that opportunity, because of that incentivized exclusive offer. Now, lead gen, I was talking about lead gen in a hybrid era, right? Is it, is it different? And nearly... I would say almost 80% of marketers use, like I said, events to generate leads for their business, right? So let's look at some lead gen avenues to try if you are hosting or thinking about a hybrid opportunity. Maybe your team will help produce your ROI. Um, maybe you're just looking at the different options. Does it make sense for me? Now, registration data, right? You need to use this. As I mentioned before, you need to use this for leads and to understand now they're not necessarily qualified leads they may not buy tomorrow but it's your it's your job to engage them after the event to cultivate them a little bit more to get to that point right if they signed up they they obviously must want something that you're offering so those are always great registration points and to, to listen to to think about as you're going into the roi in into the next point that i want to make is intentional networking opportunities this is probably the gold nugget of the entire room. People, yes, we have networking opportunities. Yes, we're going to put that in our virtual event platform. Um, and in a live event setting, people naturally do that networking. 
But in a hybrid event scope, how much are you going to get into the networking opportunities for both audiences to interact? And the key for this is to very much have a great path to intentional networking opportunities, right? Many businesses write land sponsors and then forget about them. I don't know how many times I've walked into a room to consult with big companies, Fortune 500 companies, and they're like, we landed this sponsor, we have this sponsor. And then they're like, we, we booked them, but then we forgot about them the entire way and we didn't engage with them. Again, right, we're not valuing quality over quantity. Intentional networking opportunities are such a perfect way to cultivate relationships, meaningful, right? Hot prospects and leads. So your team and your responsibilities to create those for cross attendee, virtual and in a live setting, but for also sponsors and for also everybody that's involved, all stakeholders. So what I like to do is I want to make sure that I get very specific instructions as to what my networking looks like, right? Set up one-to-one-on-one -on -one speed styling because you go into a virtual platform and there's that little networking tab and people are like, go to the networking tab now. And some people do. And a lot of people actually just step away to go to the bathroom or to, to get lunch or get a snack or go to the, get the Amazon package at the door. We want to think about very intentional networking opportunities. We want to think about intentional agenda setting. Live and in person, do we want them to connect with our virtual audiences? Absolutely, 100%. So integrate that into the agenda. Integrate all of these tools that are out there that will logically pair people up with minimal effort on your part. So example, right? You can offer product demos that are in small group settings with Q&A, right? You can create a lot of great opportunities. One way that we're doing it is in a hybrid event next year, we are allowing our live in person because most people have a phone, right? I would say 99.9% .9 of people have a phone. Even my dad, who's <laughs> very, doesn't even have the internet. He has a phone. He has the opportunity to connect to Wi-Fi and connect to the virtual platform and get online with somebody who's a virtual attendee. And the, maybe you make a game out of it. Connect with one attendee to get a sticker. Connect with two virtual attendees to get a pair of socks. Connect with 10 to get XYZ. Connect with 100 to get a dinner out. Something like that, going back to my point two of incentivizing people to do the things you want them to do. Now, the success, I think, in a lot of different scenarios, whether that's an event, whether that's in a sponsorship, whether that's in any particular circumstance when it comes to the strategy is really in the follow-up, right? The key here is not necessarily just in the lead gen, which I'm, I love and I, and I absolutely think that is, is still key and vital, but for your leads to produce more ROI for your event, you have to have that solid follow-up strategy to um, engage those leads post-event. Right? Think your call campaigns with your all your in inside sales teams or like marketing, email marketing campaigns to engage them and to purchase products. So at the end of the day, we want to think about all these different scenarios 
when we come into a very ROI-centric type of event strategy. You want to revise your messaging. You want to revise your, your before, during, and after event strategy to really provide that ROI throughout different channels and different buckets. You are a rock star for listening to today's episode, and I want to hear from you. Head on over to Instagram, at Industry by Alicia, give me a quick follow, and then slide into my DMs. God, I hate that term, <laughs> but I'm going to say it anyway. Slide into my DMs and let me know what was the worst virtual event that you've ever been to. I'm going to do a next episode on this.